Hello, friends and sojourners. I would be Russ Shaw, your host. You're listening to ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is Season 6, Episode 9. ASI247.org is the website titling this episode, Wisdom on a Path. I know some things that you don't. I've done things that you won't. There's nothing like a trail of blood to find your way back home. I was waiting for my hearse. What came next was so much worse. It took a AM Life is Beautiful, the 2017 version of that song. Um, if you go to the website asi247.org, click on the uh, Spotify playlist. There's a Spotify playlist for this podcast, or you can search Spotify for ASI Podcast Bumps, and that one's on there. Follow the bands if you like the bands, man. They give you notifications when they're on tour merch and stuff like that so yes um today here i am pumping spotify i don't get paid for that by the way it's just way to keep my nose clean with the recording industry (laughs) right and to give back to the bands man i really do want you to support the music you know um today i had a session and I wanted to share this with you. Wisdom on a Path is the title of this episode. It's, it's my path, all right? And I've been talking about this, this topic for 12 years, right? And the healing uh, from sexually compulsive behavior and what that looks like. It's been a long journey. Uh, this stuff has deep roots, all right? Especially for myself had to tear down some pretty heavy belief structures over the years. I heard a a guy talking about leadership and influence, and he brought up one of my favorite uh, Christian reverend guys. Uh, He's not just just in the topic of religion, right? He's not just a religious guy, but he, he changed my country. Um, his name is Martin Luther King, and this man said that the um, Reverend Doctor King, his his influence wasn't just that he told people what to do and ordered people around, and he wasn't that kind of authority, right? Like he didn't pay people to do the civil rights movement, for example. He wasn't a boss or commander of like an army kind of authority figure, right? He he said, "I have a dream." He had a 
a vision of freedom and he kept talking about it and he kept saying I believe I believe I believe uh, and that's kind of what this show is about and other shows like this right uh, don't follow me because I'm some authority I hate that. Like, I don't want to be your authority. I'm not an authority figure. I'm not a guru. I'm not your teacher. (sighs) Am I a teacher? You know, some people see me as a teacher. Listen, again, this is a path. This is the path that I have uh, sojourned on. My life isn't like yours, you know. But if you believe the same things I do, or if you don't believe... Uh, I'd love to hear from you, too. It's uh, russ at asi247.org is the email address for this here podcast. I believe there is freedom, and I believe there is healing. I believe that I can heal the bulk of my wounds, and that's been the the path that I've been going down. I'm not blaming anybody anymore. Right? I'm not pointing at other people on my path and saying, it's your fault! Your fault! Um, I just have to go continue down this path that I was given. That uh, whether it's fate or the unfolding of time, uh, the, the, the serenity moving forward... And hopefully it's an encouragement to listeners that you don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to let your compulsions run your life. You don't have to live in mire and misery and wallow in self-hatred. Because, listen, I've been there. And I want to encourage you to move forward. You guys keep encouraging me, as listeners to the show, to, to keep pressing forward. To keep going after every freaking wound and turning it into a scar and realizing which are scars and which are wounds moving forward. Um, That's what I believe. I believe that I could choose to wallow in my shit and feel sorry for myself and uh, have a a decade-long pity party. You know, I'm not... I'm pitying myself, you know, it's, it's, it's time to get up, live life, heal, move forward, get on a freaking path, get up off one's ass. <laughs> so I've had to keep doing that, getting up off my ass, getting back on the path, dealing with my shit. And sometimes that takes work and it does take work, all right? Not sometimes. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort on your part. It's going to take putting on your hiking boots, lacing them up, um, using those legs of yours to hike that may be out of shape some, right? I can relate, all right? Uh, today, I had a therapy session where I almost passed out. All right, that's never happened before, by the way. This is intense work that I've been doing uh, on a therapy called EMDR. Talked about uh, that a little bit on on some previous shows. Um, 
I talked about how it's sort of like uh, the science behind shamanism, right? Why, why shamanism is a thing and why it actually works. Like, I'm not superstitious, all right? Do I believe that shamans have spiritual power to move, I don't know, entities, to use that word? I mean, there's spiritual stuff going on. I believe everything is spiritual. Like, I'm one of those guys. Um, I don't think it's this thing, spirit stuff happens outside the realm of science, for example. And EMDR has some real results that have been shown in clinical studies uh, when it comes to healing PTSD and actually sexually compulsive behavior or sex addiction, even though that's not a thing, right? Uh, but in this this season of the show, I'm talking about right, shedding intimacy disorder and what it looks like to have healthy relationships, what it, what it means to get down into that connective tissue, that where we relate to other people, where we feel secure in our own being, where you feel comfortable in your own skin. Like this guts deep roots, man. It goes all the way back to when you were a kid. And for me, you know, I sat there for years in counseling sessions and talking about it and talking about it. And, and that's good. All right. I'm not poo pooing that. Um, I am a little bit, but, uh, there's, <laughs> there was some real movement in talking about it, right? Talk therapy was helpful for me, but this Man, this stuff is getting into the trauma. It's getting into my body. It's getting into the feelings that are attached to situations, you know. Like you could read a book on something, right, and and devour all that information, but applying it to your life is something else entirely, right? Like it takes having to feel the feelings of the author, whoever wrote that, like they gave birth to that out of their being because of the emotional work that they did in, in learning this information. So the emotional work is getting into where the trauma sits and it sits in me. All right. Why I tend to get frozen in certain um, social interactions, especially with my wife in my relationships and being open with her, being um, completely me with her and and other people. As a matter of fact, I for years was just this plastic person with this shallow uh, persona. And I, I really didn't know who I was underneath that until it started to leak and have cracks in it and hurt people that I loved. So EMDR, all right, getting into this. And, and I wanted to share this with you. Had a friend who uh, he's journaling some of his EMDR sessions. Uh, my friend John on the Punk Theology podcast, the other podcast I do. Uh, and so... I'm going to journal it here. I'm just going to share it with you all, the audience. And this isn't super, um, there's some stuff I wouldn't share publicly just 
to let you know, right? I'm not just opening up my behind the counter so that anyone can come back and just see all my shit, right? Like there's some stuff I am keeping private. I am keeping some of my dignity uh, in sharing this stuff with you. I've had to do that over the years. You know, I used to share stuff on the show where it was like, oh, you know, that's uh, that's kind of deep, Russ. Like maybe... You should talk to a counselor about that or a therapist first. So, so what I'm going to share with you is it's, it's intense. Um, feeling wise, the energy to it was like super intense. Um, but I, I, but I feel pretty confident and safe sharing it with you. Uh, my sojourners here in the audience. So this session started with, um, a memory that we processed in the last session last Wednesday uh, this happened today, by the way. All right. So fresh while it's fresh in my heart and mind, spilling it out here on the stage <laughs> reminds me of that Rolling Stones lyric, right? If I could throw spit my heart on the anyway, I'll stop digressing. All right. So what we were targeting in this um EMDR session was memories around security and does Russ feel safe in my core? Do I feel safe um, in the essence of who I am? Am I safe in the world? Right. So going back to some really early memories that centered around this feeling of is my world coming apart uh, and safety and security? Am I loved? Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, really early memories of that. So my mom and dad got divorced when I was seven years old. And my mom and I moved to Mount Lake Terrace. So we went from this house that was really cool and had two stories, you know. I mean, it was a it was a little house. My dad was a, you know, middle-class guy. Um, my friend Derek, his house is... It, it reminds me of, of my house that I grew up in as a kid up in Bellingham before my parents got divorced. So, uh, you know, thinking about... It brings, stirs memories of my, my childhood home before uh, the, the, the broken home situation. My, my parents splitting the sheets, so to speak. Um, so I, uh, moved to Mount Lake Terrace as a kid, right? We go from that kind of safety of that to living in a crappy apartment, Mount Lake Terrace. Now I actually took pictures of the apartments and today they're not too bad. Like they actually look really nice. Um, if you go to the, I have a Facebook page, by the way, it's called heart, mind, love, sex, and affection. Um, it's a Facebook group page, and I'm going to upload some of the photos and videos from what I'm going to tell you here that I took actually earlier today. So I did this kind of exercise earlier today, a walk down memory lane, doing the work of reprocessing some early childhood trauma, some relational trauma, um, one that affects my ability to trust. One that keeps me frozen in my truster, right? What's your agenda? Like, what are you after with me? Like, what that? Like, there's that feeling, that energy, that attitude, attitude of sexual integrity. <laughs> it's, it's not a, I don't know. So, attitudes affect how we do relationships, our attitudes towards other people. This is the stuff I'm processing, and it's freaking work. All right, 
Is it a mountain that you climb? Sometimes it feels like it. Today felt like a marathon. I got home. I did not go back to work. I laid down. Right? It was it was exhausting. But it was really good work. Um, so, where were we? Uh, walk down memory lane. I stood there in front of this pond where I used to, when I was a seven-year-old kid, build these little boats um, out of styrofoam garbage, right? Like I would get the styrofoam. You know, you pack like a stereo or something. Somebody threw away, I don't know, speakers or a stereo, and I broke off the little piece of styrofoam, and then I stuck like toothpicks in them, and I made little sails out of pieces of paper. And as the wind blew, it would push the little boat across this little pond when I was a kid. It was the one sense of security. It's one of the happy memories I had there. Um, If you think about me, seven years old at the time, uh, I had been pulled out of my home. We, Mom and dad are divorced, couldn't afford to live there no more. My mom takes a job in downtown Seattle, and she bus commutes from Mount Lake Terrace to Seattle, which takes like two hours, okay? Uh, So I have to get up early in the morning. My school started at 7 a.m. I would go to a friend of hers place and stay at her place at 5 o'clock in the morning, sometimes 4.30. She would get me up early. I would go over there. Uh, her friend was a single mom who had five kids. Um, the oldest kid was a teenager. He kind of took care of everybody, fed us cereal, stuff like that. She would do that too. And, you know, there was nowhere to sleep. Basically, I would sleep on the couch if there was a place. Um, five kids in a two-bedroom apartment is basically what was going on, right? So so I did that for, for months, um, when I was the new kid, I started getting picked on. I didn't have any friends. I'm the new kid. And, uh, where's, you know, where's your sack lunch kid? You must have some money, right? Uh, lunch money. So not only was I, you know, not familiar with my surroundings, but I was getting picked on and beat up and pushed down. One kid threatened to push me out in the street while cars were coming. Um, I just stopped, basically stopped walking the same route to school. Now, I lived within like a half mile, maybe less than a half mile, the apartments that I was in from the grade school that I went to. And I, so it was just a walk up the street. There was a crosswalk. Um, You'd go across the crosswalk and then up the hill to the school. Um, I started cutting through this field that now, um, today, and it's in the video, there's like buildings there. Uh, and so I would cut through this field. It was like fenced off and it was just a abandoned lot, basically. And I would cut through that. And then I would cross uh, 220th. So off of I-5, there's this huge road, 220th. It's like It's like five lanes of cars going back and forth. I'm like seven years old. And it's it's about the same as it was when I was a kid. You know, it's just five lanes of traffic, and I'm cutting across this road to get to school to avoid the bullies. And so a few times they saw me cutting through the field, and they chased me through this field. I remember that in my body, right? Um, part of what EMDR, the process of it is you're put in 
in not a hypnotic state. I don't know. The woman that came up with it was uh, studied hypnotism. So there's some of that. But basically you're breathing for a while. You're clearing your body. You're getting to a place where your thoughts have, have calmed down, right? You're, you're in this, this state of calm, of um, breathing, and then we turn on the, the film, okay, so to speak. It's like I'm on a movie set watching this happen. So it's not like I'm reliving it again, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a spectator watching myself be chased um, through this abandoned lot by bullies who are going to beat the shit out of me if I don't give them my lunch money or whatever, or whatever reason they wanted to at the time. They didn't like my jacket or something. Um, so so this is going on, and I'm feeling this, and I'm breathing, and I'm going, you know, like I'm being chased. I used to have dreams about it, you know. I used to have dreams that I'm being chased by these bullies through this freaking lot, and I'd get to the street, get hit by a car, you know. Um, so, so yeah, I cross this this thing of traffic. I get to the school. There was, and I remember as a kid, there was this part of the fence that you would that it was wasn't attached at the bottom, so you could pull it back like a curtain, kind of, and and cross into the school grounds from there. And that's how I would get to school. And one day, I got sick of the bullies chasing me, of the bullies hounding me, of them. And I'm 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 a tough kid, right? I'm gonna stand up to these guys, even though they were a lot bigger than me and older than me. And so I, uh, I grabbed a butcher knife, more like a fillet knife, as a second grader. All right, this was just my life at the time. I grab a, a, a fillet knife, and I'm going to protect myself from these guys. And so for a while, uh, they didn't chase me, but I brought this fillet knife to school. Long, about a seven-inch blade on it, wooden handle. I'd hide it in my jacket. Sometimes I'd put it in my backpack. Um, but most of the time it was in my jacket. I wanted to be able to pull it out right away if I needed to. And so a second grader shouldn't have to bring a fillet knife to school to protect himself, right? I knew if I told the teachers that they would... And I believe I did. I think I I remember telling one of the teachers that this certain kid was picking on me and they told that kid to knock it off. And guess what? I got picked on all the more because now I'm the snitch, right? Uh, the teachers at the school were, man, it reminded me of Pink Floyd, right? We don't need no education. Um, would beat the kids within inches of their lives. It wasn't, they never physically hit us, but they just, they just didn't want to be there. Kind of like people at a job who just, oh, you know, I have to show up and deal with these shitty kids. That was kind of the attitude of these these folks at this school at the time. Um, just not caring, trying to put themselves in my shoes. Oh hell no, no. They were gonna they were gonna make sure that if I was going to be the the kid who was tattletaling, that I would knock that shit off right away by them telling the bullies that I was a tattletale, so which made my life worse, which had me bring a fillet knife to school. I'm not justifying it, all right? I should, probably shouldn't have done that. I was in second grade. I was a kid, all right? But uh, I remember showing another kid on the playground, and this kid ran and told the recess 
teacher, right? And she opens up my jacket. And that was another traumatic thing for me as a kid. Like, she opens up my jacket, and there's this knife, and it falls out on the ground, and I'm caught, right? And and I felt like, man, I remember that feeling of just like, oh, my God, like I'm a monster, like you just caught me, you just revealed this horrible thing about me, and I just started bawling, you know. And they call my mom, of course. I was suspended from school for like a week. I can't remember, but the, there was. I had to go to counseling. That's when I started some of the counseling. Um, Russ has violent tendencies, so so we processed this memory, right? And and I went through it, and it's like teenage me was there. So. Teenage me has been occurring in some of my uh, EMDR sessions where it's this 17-year-old version of myself and he's he's got the long hair and the attitude and the punk rock shirt, right, or the Metallica shirt or what, whatever it was. like. And he's, he's sort of become like a big brother figure for little uh, second grader me, um, for seven-year-old me, for six-year-old me, for eight, nine-year-old me. Um, he's there. Uh, on the field all of a sudden he's saying hey buddy it's gonna be okay you know I'm crying I'm freaking out I just got caught uh, everyone hates me everyone thinks I'm a monster but he's going eh you're kind of a badass <laughs> you know it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay and so processing that memory was helpful and then today I walked it you know I got out of the car I walked it I crossed I jaywalked across five lanes of traffic thinking about little seven-year-old me having some compassion for that little kid who I used to I used to fucking hate him man I did I I wouldn't I didn't have pictures of myself in my house as a kid because I couldn't stand little kid me because he was so stupid and so um just you know that that's not healthy right like but I felt that way about myself as a kid why did you do that why did you put uh, me through all this shit and pain. Why didn't you say something? Um, that so that's a lot of the attitude I've had towards a little me. So teenage me has been helping me, adult me, with that. Right. So teenage me showing up as a big brother really had me feel a lot safer and more comfortable in my own skin. I started breathing. Lightly in this session, my my stomach pain went away. Like I had stomach problems as a kid, a lot. Stayed home from school a lot because of uh, intense stomach issues, throwing up even, nausea, nausea, all right, over my relational trauma. Maybe I'm just one of those people that feels a lot. I don't know. Maybe all of us do. Paul Young would say we all are creative we all feel stuff intensely some of us are just better at shoving it under a rock for longer periods of time Um, and now at 50 years old like this stuff is coming out you know uh, it has been coming out (laughs) that's the thing but now I'm conscious of it I think so towards the end of that session um, I'm breathing I'm feeling better my stomach feels lighter and teenage me grabs little me by the shoulder and we walk from that school back to the apartment you know and he kind of hey we're going to take the crosswalk this time no one's going to fuck with you (laughs) i'm here you know trust me it'll be fine so we you know 
we go home and we end that session. So today I go in and I, I show Susan, my therapist, the pictures of what happened today. And, and she goes, uh, she goes, well, you know, we'll, we'll adjust another target and we'll think about um, what we want to talk about today. And she goes, is there anything coming up as you share this with me? And I said, the trailer park, um, another place we moved after Mount Lake Terrace. I really don't feel safe walking through there, even in an EMDR session. Like it, it, the, the thought of it frightens me, makes me sick to my stomach. Um, the tr- so the trailer park, my mom, uh, single mom at the time, we lived there for maybe a year there in Mount Lake Terrace. Uh, second, no, it was two years because I did second grade twice. I actually had to repeat the second grade there, which was also a rosy part of my childhood, right? Um, that was another one. So Psychic Debbie, um, my friend Cash Peters, who who was a guest on the show, uh, graciously paid for me to have a session with a with a psychic, right? And I'm not, and it's funny, like I'm not a guy who sees psychics. Like I'm just like, it's just not me. I'm not that, you know, the part of it, you know, and I'm starting to unravel some of my Christian superstition around, you know, some of that stuff. But anyway, Psychic Debbie, she um and she's not she's no like and, and so that's another thing too like uh, researching her a little bit like she's not just one of these you know throw up a sign kind of psychic shysters that you would see on the side of the road right like hey come in and get your palm read or something like that no psychic debbie has helped solve like cold cases all right detectives call psychic debbie she she's helped find bodies um whatever you think about that i I don't know like right (laughs) that's where i land with this stuff i don't know but does she talk to spirits does she have um gifting you know I don't, I don't know, man. I, but, but it, it felt like it more of a just a counseling session to me when I talked to her. I, it didn't seem real supernatural, to be honest. But she said stuff that, you know, you would think someone would have to know me for a long period of time to know the stuff she knew. And one of the things she said in that session is that the child version of me, my spirit, is a is tough. Like he's been through a lot. Both my wife and I, she said that about both of us, right? But she, you know, she said that to me, like, the, the, the child you is strong. He's got a strength to him that I'm not sure that you know about. And uh, and that stuck with me through this, this session. I was thinking about Psychic Debbie's words in our session on, on child, uh, child like me, all right, that I'm, that I'm strong because of some of the shit I've been through. So, um, the trailer park, getting back to that. Uh, my mom marries a long haul truck driver named Jim and he's my first stepdad. And I didn't see Jim a whole lot. I think that, uh, Jim through the time that they were married, maybe said five words to me the whole time they were married. He just pretty much ignored me most of the time. He did go on the road with me once. Like that was one of our little bonding things he tried to, to the guy was just, he was just who he was. All right. Um, so we had that uh, father, stepfather, son thing 
and it was kind of cool riding in an 18 wheeler all the way to LA and back, you know, back up here to Seattle. But again, it wasn't, you know, we didn't go anywhere fun. <laughs> we went to truck stops. We took public showers, which was weird as a kid, you know. Um, and, and we, I ate truck driver food, but it was, it was cool to sit there in a big 18 wheeler looking down on everyone. And, but it, yeah, so my stepdad, Jim had his issues, all right? Uh, my mom marries him, and we move into this trailer park, and that's basically where I was sexually uh, abused. I was uh, raped, actually. I was molested for a period of time, and then there was a rape that happened where I was forcibly um, violated, to use that word. Uh, I've processed some of that before. I'm not going to talk about that here, but I will talk about this. So this is where we, we went today. Um, I told Susan that unlike my bringing a butcher knife trauma and being bullied trauma, this was different. Um, the feelings around it were um, heavy, you know? Like even though we'd processed my rape, uh, uh, the rape of nine-year-old me, um, there was this lingering feeling of shamey dirtiness and dread around the, the trailer where it happened in. And so after, you know, this guy just was gone one day. He was molesting his brother, too. Uh, he was like 18, 17, 18. His brother was about my age and something happened and he was just gone. And it wasn't too long after that, that his parents moved out too. And then my friend, Mike, uh, Mike Griffin, he moved into the neighborhood and, um, and his sister, Rachel. And I remember Rachel was this cute little girl. And I so remember feeling like, thank God that monster is gone. That guy who molested me is gone because he would have, God knows what he would have done to this little girl because he even talked about it. I wish a little girl would move into this neighborhood, this guy would say. Um, and, and, and I remember just, thank God that he's not here when when Rachel had, had moved into the neighborhood. Um, but, so I would play with my friend Mike Griffin and Mike Griffin lived right next door or maybe a, a door or two down. I think it was two doors down from the house where my trauma, my super trauma happened in the trailer. Anyway, so I grew up in the white man's ghetto. All right. Trailer park. <laughs> I love that. That song. What was it? Kid Rock. I ain't straight out of Compton. I'm straight out the trailer. Um, I would not ride by his trailer. I wouldn't. I, would I walk by it sometimes if I got it out of my head? I would I would be able to walk by it, but I thought of it as as haunted or I don't know if you ever saw the mo- the movie Monster House. It's an animated movie about a house that's haunted, and this house like comes out and grabs people and stuff like like that. You know, I was it had this weird energy to it like that, and so that's what I was telling Susan, and she goes, "Okay, we're gonna process that." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, right." I'm going to walk by the house, you know, and so breathing, you know, I'm, I'm editing this for time. 
so I get into the zone, whatever, right? I'm breathing. I'm, uh, eyes are closed. I'm in my body. I'm feeling the sensations of my body. I can smell the smells. I can feel the sun on my face. I can feel the, the handlebar grips, which is weird. EMDR is weird. I have these two buzzers going off. One buzzes in one hand, one buzzes in the other. And it's this bilateral stimulation. It's it's causing my brain to 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 feel in my body what I'm processing on the screen, so to speak, right? So as the buzzers are going on off in my hand, right to left, right to left, I'm breathing breathing in, breathing out. She says, what are you feeling as you're on your bike riding towards that place? And I said, dread. I feel it's, it just feels dirty. It feels gross. And I can't tell anyone what happened there. You know, no one knows what I'm, what I'm feeling, what I'm suffering through emotionally as the, the energy is emanating from that space, from that trailer. And, um, and she says, well, breathe it through and then tell me where it goes. And so in this little movie, you know, uh, pretty soon I'm no longer on my bike, but I am in my trailer and I'm sitting there watching cartoons or whatever. I was a latchkey kid. So my mom, uh, again, she still worked. Uh, she would drive though, and she worked in Linwood. So it wasn't as far later right so after um some of this other trauma happened my mom got another job and she was a little closer but i was still a latchkey kid right and i still got home at whatever it was and i I don't know two three o'clock and and waited for her for a couple of hours before she got home so i would sit there i'd watch cartoons or whatever play with my friends but this day I'm, i'm sitting there and i'm watching cartoons and it's in this theater of my mind as i'm breathing and the buzzers are going off and i feel that dread to come to me and it's like tapping me on the shoulder kind of in my emotions and it's making me feel shameful and the funny thing is it has some of those threads that I had with the porn. Some of the same shamey energy that I had when... And I talked about this in some of those early shows, right? When the when the gorilla, when the 500-pound gorilla comes up and taps you on the shoulder and has you... Because you're alone, right? Your wife or your kids or your husband or whoever isn't home. So you're tempted to act out, as we would call it in... I don't know sexual addiction behavior mod (laughs) to use that word where I go now is just you know what if you're going to look at porn you're going to look at porn so stop um, the repression of some of these urges so to speak this is some of the the shit the threads that it has attached to it Um, identifying it is super helpful Um, but anyway going on I'm feeling some of that same shamey energy behind this thing calling me to itself. Um, and it's not like I'm I'm seven years old and I feel horny now. Uh, it, it was more like I feel I feel shame. 
I feel like I need to do something to get this shame feeling off of me. And I don't know what I would read. I would um, mess around with stuff. I would go play in the dirt. Uh, but I would try and escape that that thing, that, that shamey energy coming up behind me. And then I had this image pop in my head. Um, as I'm breathing, buzzers are going off. We're kind of processing. I'm talking about it a little bit. She'll turn the buzzers off and say, what are you What are you experiencing? And I'll explain it to her. And then she'll go, okay, now we're going to go back into it. All right. So we go back into it. And I am, uh, oh, man, this is a hard one. I'm laying in my bed, and I remember a dream, a reoccurring dream I had as a kid where I would open up my door to my bedroom in the morning. So it would be like I'm waking up and my mind doesn't know whether I'm awake or asleep and I'm waking up. I open the door to my bedroom to go to the bathroom or to go brush my teeth or whatever. And my dog, my family dog at the time is hanging on a meat hook right outside my door. And he's basically skinned alive and he's still twitching and moving and yelping and yiping. And I'm freaking out and I'm screaming and I'm going, Oh my God, you know? And, uh, as a, as a kid and I'm like, Oh, you know, and I remember do in the, in the process just, that's when I started, I started bawling, remembering this memory of this dream that this kid was having. So again, I'm having more compassion for, like um, nine-year-old me at the time in that trailer having this dream. I'm like a poor kid having to dream about something so horrific and horrible reoccurringly um, uh, because of some of the trauma I was going through, I guess. I don't know. But it has that, that demonic sort of energy or entity sort of energy that my friend Seth would say. Like it felt like something was was there showing me this film and that's when Susan as my spirit guide <laughs> as you would say as the shamans would say maybe in this process my therapist um, she says where's Leo now Leo is my friend he's actually been on this this show I think it was episode 34 or 35 Leo Schultz um, Leo is my spirit guide kind of in this process leo is someone i've set up as an angel he protects my vault so when you do emdr you have a safe place i have this cabin in the woods where i have a fire going and it feels safe and it feels like secure and everything and then i have a vault where i put some of this nasty shit in and leo sits outside that vault as a guard and he's an angel now um my friend leo passed in 2016 of cancer. Uh, he's a guy who saved my life to a certain degree when I had suicidal thoughts and was going through just a horrible time. Met him in a redemption group at Mars Hill Church. And, and Leo um, popped into my head as this angel figure who um, is with me, guarding my... Uh, guarding some of the shit and he's one at one time we were closing a a uh i'll tell you a leo angel leo story one time we were closing a session um emdr session and as we were closing it it felt good but i started hear this demonic laughter right like this thing laughing like this demon thing laughing 
at me as we're closing the session and, and Susan says like, what's the matter? Tell me what's going on. And I said, I hear, I hear laughter. And she would say, where's Leo? <laughs> and it was funny cause Leo, I, I can laugh. Leo comes in the room and he finds this like little demon thing over in a corner and he grabs it and he puts it in a headlock and he's got this wings on him, right? And he's all in white and he just grabs this thing and puts it in a headlock and he drags it out of the, out of the trailer, right? Where this is happening. And, and he leaves, you know, and I'm like, oh wow, you know, I feel better now. I can, I can breathe now and we can end this session. And, uh, so that's one of my Leo stories. But in this, scenario um i'm nine years old i'm walking outside my door my my family beloved family pet is hanging on a meat hook bleeding to death and 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 twitching um and leo is is enters the room and he's angry right he's like where the hell is this thing there it is and it's and it's running this like projector camera thing right like if you think i'm old so when i was in school they would actually put film in a camera and show when i was in grade school and show a film and it would project on a screen and that's what he showed so there's a screen and i didn't see the screen and he pulls down the screen and he pulls he points at the the this weird entity all i could say is like a dark mass and it's sitting behind this camera and it's showing this film to nine-year-old me and he knocks the freaking camera off on the floor and it breaks all over the floor and he says get the hell out of here this is sacred space this is sacred space you don't belong here and and i enter in and i'm like nine-year-old me's like yeah get out of here you don't belong here you know and so Leo and I are ushering this little thing out and it's it's like we we walk out of the trailer and I can remember the trailer vividly in this process. I can smell um exhaust from the trailer park as we open the door. Whatever some beater cars going by and and uh and Leo pulls out this little car paper car that I had made as a kid and this memory comes flooding back and it's so weird how these memories come flooding back so when I was a kid uh, again latchkey kid uh, after some of my trauma I spent a lot of time by myself so I used to make these little cars and I would fold them up my grandma gave me this paper this book one time where it showed you how to fold up these little cars so you'd cut out the cars and then you'd do the instructions and you'd fold it up into a little car right so i learned how to do this just out of a piece of paper and i'd make these little cars and i took the one time i took this little guy um i i made a paper mache guy and and he was like the villain character right and so leo grabs the little paper guy and sits him in the driver's seat of this little car and then and then he hands me an m80 and so and so I did this as a kid, right? I was like, I don't know, 9, 10, 11 years old and uh you know, I I got an M80 from from the freaking fireworks store cuz I live here in the northwest and Indian reservations are everywhere and if you have some money, you know, they tell you. And and this is, you know, early 80s um late 70s even, I can't remember. But I had an M80 
right? And I and I put it in this little paper mache car, and I put it on the carport. So on the carport where I lived, right outside my door, the trailer, you go down the stairs, and then there's the carport. My mom wasn't there. Um, the neighbor's house was right next door. My bike was sitting kind of propped up against the carport, and I put this M80 in this car, and it's almost like that 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 dark entity spirit thing was in that paper mache guy, right? And I could see it in there, and then we we light it, <laughs> and it goes boom, like it was this enormous explosion. I actually felt as a kid, I remember feeling like the shockwave of it hit my body, you know? And I felt that in the session too. It was like, whoosh. And it kind of went through me. My bike falls over. The neighbor comes running out. What the hell is going on? Right? Like he's like just furious, freaking out. I'm like, whoa, dude, you know, I'm sorry. I run in the house, you know, later on, my mom got a talking to by the neighbor, but that's not the point. The point of this session, in closing the session was I blew that motherfucker to smithereens <laughs> he was like shreds of shrapnel all over the place and I was able to breathe you know I was able to breathe clearly um then she says what are you experiencing now And this memory came to me of the guy that abused me and what he looked like. So, and I've even talked about that in this show, like I couldn't remember his face. I couldn't remember his face. I don't know what he looks like. That was one of the things that really kind of freaked me out about the situation of, of being molested by this guy. I don't know what he looks like. And an image came of him. And he looked like my wife's cousin, Jeff, who I'd only met once. And but his kind of energy and demeanor and and his his facial features reminded me of this this guy and he was about seventeen or eighteen when I was nine and there was a a positive interaction that I had with him where we we went to catch frogs and so in Snohomish in the summer uh, they would have this thing called Clahaya Days and they had a frog jumping contest. And so he decided, Hey, let's go up there and see if we could catch the, cause there's really big frogs up at this pond past our trailer park up over the hill. And it wasn't shitty and he wasn't trying to fucking touch me. And it was just me spending time with this guy that I looked up to. And it wasn't full of dread. And this guy's a monster. That monster energy was gone. It's almost like, whatever infected him that infected me had blown up in that scenario and I was able to so but the funny thing is is like as we're going into this I said stop right so she goes what I go I I stood up I dropped the buzzers and I go I need to stop and I felt dizzy I was almost hyperventilating um as I'm remembering, as I'm remembering him and what he looks like, you know, and she goes, well, just keep going through this Russ. Just keep going through this. It's okay. You'll be okay. Right. Um, that was after we'd stop. So we did full stop. Right. And they'll do that in the MDR. She'll say, Hey, if you need to stop, just say stop. And we stopped. It was like a safe word. Right. Um, I said, stop. Uh, 
so I stood up. She gave me some uh, these little puff ball things, right? You know, those little scoochy things um, that you press with your hands to get me in the room. I actually stood up out of the chair. I felt dizzy where I almost passed out. So she had me sit down. She had me breathe. She goes, it's 2018. Here we are. We're in the room. We're in Everett, Washington at the Dawson Center, right? We're processing this memory and everything's okay. We're gonna, You're okay. You're here. You're here now. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm here, you know. And then she goes, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going into that memory. And I did, you know. And I just remember being out there catching frogs even laughing with him, not being afraid of him. Um, this is before he actually raped me, by the way. Uh, I think that's important to point out. After the rape, uh, it wasn't maybe, f- f- I don't know, weeks after that that he just was up and gone, had disappeared. Um, and I didn't tell. I didn't report. So I'm a, I'm a non-reporter to my uh, abuser as a kid. I think somebody did because he was just gone. Um, but in that memory, yeah, man, I, I processed him as a person, right? It reminds me of that, that scripture. Uh, we do not war against flesh and blood, but against dark spirits and entities and forces and principalities, right? It's not flesh and blood, that we're warring against. I don't know what happened in this motherfucker's past to do that shit to me that he did, but in that day and in that scenario, it's almost like God, the universe, whatever you want to insert, higher power thing here, why ever I was seeing that on my screen um, had me breathing a little easier, had me feeling like... So I feel different today. I feel like I feel like I ran a marathon, but I feel like I did good work today. I feel like something has left my body. Something that has been trapped in my freaking body isn't isn't there. I really feel like that. Uh it's weird. <laughs> and I felt like that before doing these processes, but I I wanted to share that with you guys, the listener today and uh and encourage you to maybe look into EMDR or to even look into any kind of therapy. Maybe start with talk therapy, um, but but start somewhere. You know, start on this path, on this journey. Is it hard work? Yeah. Is there some days I don't want to do EMDR? Almost every fucking time I go to EMDR, I don't. Some part of me is like, I don't want to do EMDR. Um, but man, I feel good. I feel good today. Uh, I really do. And. Um, I love you guys, and thanks for listening, if you're still listening, because I've gone a little bit long in this session, but I wanted to get this out of me. I wanted to blog it. I wanted to write it down, so to speak. I don't write shit down, so I knew I would never write all this down in one sitting, and I wanted to get it out while it's fresh, and while I felt it. This happened today. Uh, This episode will probably be up tomorrow. Uh, What is today? Uh, Looking at my phone, it is June 6th. 2018 thanks for listening you guys again russ at asi 247.org I love you guys I I mean that Um, part of me was killed 
in that trailer, you know. Remember Paul Young saying that. Uh, he, he, Paul Young, the guy that wrote The Shack. There's a murder in his book, The Shack, and uh, of a little girl, you know. Part of him was murdered. The, the uh, sexual assault, sexual abuse of a child does that. Kills part of us. Uh, but that little boy ain't dead, you know. He may be a ghost or whatever. I don't know, but he's still alive. He's still there. There's a still a healthy little kid in me that uh, that doesn't need to live under the thumb of some dark energy that was keeping me down. That is keeping you down. All right. Uh, so I want to encourage you to do the work and uh, be like that big brother or big sister to little you. Somewhere, I want you to maybe, after you're done listening to the show, uh, find a picture of yourself. This show has homework, all right? I want you to go and find a picture of yourself as a kid and think about that kid is still in you and needs you. He or she needs you. All right. And I believe talking to some of my Christian friends here that we get way too Jesus heavy. Right. And I love Jesus. All right. As a Christian, I'm pro Jesus. Okay. The Holy Spirit, though, the spirit that lives inside you in Christ, those words, you know, that essence, that Imago day, that beautiful little boy or girl in you needs love. I believe you loving that little kid in that picture, um, it, it would change your life. That's the spirit part of you, all right? Here's where I get into the mystic side of what I believe as a Christian, as a Christian mystic. Um, your spirit is in there, and, and he or she needs a hug. They just want to play. They just want to be. They just want to know they're safe. So, and, and listen, if you don't have a picture of yourself, maybe find a friend who has a kid that is uh, that age that you were when you went through some shit, you know, some trauma. And and look at them with compassion and think you were that age. I've done that too. But all some of my friends, Derek, uh, John, they have kids that are similar ages to what when some horrible shit happened to me, you know. And and I can look at those kids and go, wow, you know. I was like, that was me. I was just that age when I went through some that fucking kids shouldn't have to go through that. You know, and I can think of little me and give him a hug and have some compassion for him. And I pray that you can do that too. That you can give a hug to little you. That you can uh, sit in the spirit, the Holy Spirit that's within you, that is you, um, and invite in your higher power, whatever it is, so that you can be with you and not be mad at you and not have those icky, shamey feelings about you. All right? I love you guys. I mean that sincerely. Till next time, 
sometimes it takes a funeral, right, to make me feel alive. That's some of what I had to go through. That's some of what EMDR feels like, you know. I love you guys. I, I do mean that sincerely. Bye. You make me feel alive. Just open your eyes. Open your eyes and see that life is you